Good evening, folks. This is your host, Terry Farley in Dallas, Texas. Now calling to each one of you from the eye of the storm. The eye is at the very center of a hurricane. Regardless of how powerful the hurricane, the eye at the center is calm. God's word leads us to the eye. For the Lord encourages each of us to be still and know that he is God. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Thank you each and every one very much for joining me this evening. I really appreciate it. Good evening again and welcome. I thank each and every one of you for joining me. Tonight, we're going to consider the person of God according to the Bible. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. Nahum chapter 1 verse 3. Nahum chapter 1 verse 3. Compliments of Heather C. King. Considering God is obviously beyond all of our pay grades, but we must first, last, and always center on God for any eternally fruitful advancements in our studies. God is, after all, the beginning and the ending, which in turn manifests in our daily physical lives. Someone out there listening may disagree strongly in the reality of God, and may even perhaps believe God is dead, a phrase employed as the title of a book written by Friedrich Wilhelm Nietzsche. Suggesting God is dead creates its own conundrum. For if indeed God were dead, his life beforehand would have been as an imposter. For by his very title, he is divine, eternal, the sole power and authority of all. Others may propose that the idea of the existence of God reveals the acceptance of a myth, while still more have, in their own estimation, have risen above such quaint absurdities and ideas. Today in these United States, we have reached such a level of exalted sensibilities that a woman who discloses her freely admitted lack of acuity at knowing her own sexuality, and for that matter, the indefinability of what a woman even is, has been readily promoted by the premier, august, political ruling body of this country as a member of the United States Supreme Court. With barely a murmur or notice, from the American press. With such accepted intellectual freedoms now proliferating exponentially across our land, it seems incumbent upon all to search their own inner intellectual foundations to ensure establishment on solid ideological ground. Turning to America's U.S. Constitution, written for the official founding of this nation, the highest personage noted in perusal of the document, higher even than Thomas Jefferson, 
would be that personage defined publicly by our present holder of the highest office in the land as that thing, to be none other than the personage being rushed into obscurity by many of our population, known quite simply by the title God. And what would be the most influential, creditable source for searching out a peer review of this thing? In the twilight of the Gilded Age of Literature, as digitalis begins to invade and overgrow the integrity of plain thought, we rush to that bestseller of all ages, the Bible. For within its covers, leather-bound or cardboard, lie the realities of the thing, marvelously recorded. Cutting to the chase, we begin with the all-encompassing passage of Isaiah 9-6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Revelation of the person of the Godhead is unequaled anywhere else in Scripture for an initial overt view. Additionally, before us then, the revelation of the Trinity, the Son born in, unto humanity, given by God himself, the name of Wonderful, also revealed elsewhere in Scripture, the Holy Spirit, Counselor unparalleled, all God, Father, Prince of Peace, whose government not only shades all past, present, and future human efforts, but replaces them with his divine wisdom. Adam braiding the golden tie between the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and the Brit Hadashah, our New Testament, God hints at his prophesied appearance with Isaiah 30:15, For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning in rest shall ye be saved, in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. Seven centuries and more down the historical road, the reader finds in Luke 4, 33-34, the amen to the declaration of the Holy One of Israel, extraordinarily proclaimed by a demon. And in the synagogue, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. One more peek between the pages of Holy Writ to whet our appetites spiritually leads us to Abraham, encountering God personally. And we read, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. 
And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. A few choice tidbits from this enlightening passage surface. Number one, Abram, without the heftiness of his extended name yet to be bestowed, at the seeming ripe old age of 99, he would live another three quarters of a century, is not too old for God to employ. Next, God himself takes the initiative, appearing to Abe who is given notice of instructions preceded by God's vocal resume, in short, identifying himself as the Almighty. Talk about a battlefield commission. God then places his requirements as twofold. Walk with him and be perfect. Before the old man can interrupt, God then reveals his own signed contract, which he will enact later for emphasis not only guaranteeing Abe's success, but Abe's future impact upon the world at large. With our plates thus overflowing already, we continue in the pursuit of gleaning from Scripture the revelations of the person of God. The Bible is the only book which proclaims itself to be inerrant, eternal, and thus completely trustworthy providing hundreds of quotes for the establishment of these purposes. We shall consider a few points from each aspect. The Bible also quotes God himself speaking, directly revealing his own personal attributes. To appreciate God's claims, we must first confirm his word's reflections upon itself, as proclaimed also in the Bible, concerning inerrancy. Why inerrancy first? Any error would immediately disqualify Scripture of all validity. Imperfection reflects inferiority. Scripture examples of inerrancy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Note the word declares all scripture, encompassing the entirety of the Bible, is given by inspiration of God. Inspiration more clearly defined as God breathed. Yes, God breathed the Bible into existence. As Peter relates, in Second Second Peter, chapter one, verse twenty-one, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Thus, for example, all Scripture is God breathed. Peter himself, as he was writing, was being inspired, spirit-filled, and led to write this letter and passage. Scripture examples of its own eternality. Forever, O Lord, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Psalm chapter 119, 
verses 89 and 90. Psalm chapter 119, verses 89 and 90. Eternality is next, because when perfection is found, the natural following question begged is perfection, yes, but for how long? God's word being settled in heaven forever thus reveals the eternality of all scripture to all generations forever and to all, confirming once again God's completeness of care to his own. Scripture examples of its own trustworthiness. Risking repetition, we again consider Psalm 119.89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever solidifies God's eternal authority in forever, assuring to all interested in God's eternal trustworthiness. God's word of inerrancy is proclaimed and proven in thousands of passages throughout Holy Writ. Presently, one only need to Google such a request to find pages of passages listed ascertaining this comforting truth that Scripture abounds proclaiming the inerrancy of its own work. Likewise, the revelation of eternality within the Bible suffices for the seeker recognition of more that can be imagined beyond this mortal coil we call earth. Paul illustrates how much more beyond this earth in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 4. Paul has been affirming his call as an apostle during the last couple chapters because of attacks from those striving to discredit him. Astoundingly, Paul reveals he himself has already experienced a personal rapture years before this. He begins chapter 12, verse 1, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. 2 Corinthians 12, 1-4 through Note Paul testifies he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Trustworthiness is the foundation laid from faith to faith, leading the wise to glory, which brings our study to the focus of God himself. Again, not from our meager mortal constructs, but to his proven, divinely documented testimony within his own book. One must, of necessity, in embarking upon this search of divine knowledge, begin always 
at the beginning. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 1. Years ago, while attending Sunday school in Southern California, I was called away for a few weeks. Upon returning, the teacher apologized to me for his seeming laxity in pursuit of the lesson. Terry, I'm sorry, but we're still in John 1.1. I haven't been able to get beyond it, he soulfully admitted. Laughing, I couldn't resist the tease, correcting him with, Yes, Pat, and we never shall get beyond it. For in the beginning, God, the Word, created the heavens and the earth. Because the Word was in the beginning, with God, and in fact, was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. So what then? Does God say of himself, let us return to his word, discovering that his word was first and always written for we mortals? But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul, when thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days. If thou turn to the Lord thy God, and shalt be obedient unto his voice. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 29 and 30. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 29 and 30. Ever gracious, the Lord himself offers to all who seek him the loving encouragement that they shall find him if they seek with all their heart and with all their soul. Amazingly, he forecasts the end times, noting that even in tribulation, in the latter days, all who turn to the Lord thy God and be obedient unto his voice, revealed in his word, they shall find him. Then, in the same chapter, in verse 39, know, for, know therefore this day, and consider it in thine heart, that the Lord, he is God in heaven above, and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. Deuteronomy 4, 39. Here, Moses, the chronicler of Deuteronomy, empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, as we earlier learned from Peter's scripture, declares, God is, emphasizing there is none else. More directly, God dictates through Isaiah, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5. Captivatingly, the Lord highlights the fact, though thou has not known me. Importantly, do you yourself personally know God? 
He wants you to know him. He died for you. And he arose the third day for you. Here's God's phone number. Jeremiah 33.3 You can call him even right now. Nothing else in this world is more important. God himself encourages, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. That is Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. How's that for God talking personally to you? And for those detractors that would gainsay to suggest this invitation was merely to Jeremiah or Israel, the Apostle Paul declared, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort, of the scriptures might have hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. And Jesus himself prayed to his Father, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Yes, Jesus prayed, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So what have we learned about God according to his own inspired word? First off, God is. <laughs> and God is eternal. God is seeking all who will come to him. God is even praying for all who will believe in his word. God is declaring his desire for all who will call on him, all who will be obedient to his word, all who will seek him with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind. God prophesied the end from the beginning. He declared in the passage at the beginning of our study that tribulation would come in the end times, the latter days, but that he would receive all who seek him. Even then, and Paul confirmed that these things were written, that we might learn through patience and the comfort of the scriptures, that we might have hope. 
For thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. Psalm 71, chapter 71, verse 5. Psalm chapter 71, verse 5. Here in the Hebrew, the psalmist speaks, Thou art my hope. Hope translated from the Hebrew is Tikva, Israel's national anthem and motto. Literally, it means accord, as something to hang on to. Tikva. Figuratively, the psalmist is espousing expectation. Thou art my expectation, or hope. Thou art my hope. Psalm 71, verse 5. From the Greek, Paul teaches that the Old Testament, the Tanakh, was written for our learning through patience and the comfort given that we might have hope. Paul employs this word hope here in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, more clearly translated from the Greek as anticipation. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Sharpening our focus, attending to Paul's admonition, while it is still called today, harden not your hearts. In conjunction with the continuing admonition from Jesus, as well as other New Testament writers, we grasp that the anticipation must be daily, bestowing daily comfort and strength as we occupy until he comes. For this God, Jesus, we have been considering, is coming back faster than any of us can imagine. I tease folks that if they're trying to imagine the rapture, it is going to be so fast that they've already missed it. That's how fast it's going to be. That's why the early church began to greet each other and to say goodbye with the words, Maranatha, the Lord come, Jesus come. And for all seeking, more scriptural support, comfort, strength, and encouragement to daily anticipate the shot of Jesus, to anticipate that God we've been talking about. I would like you to consider Blast Off Rapiamore, edition five. By yours truly, my author name is T.L. Farley, T.L. Terry Farley. You can Google. T.L. Farley Books on Amazon, as an example. That'll take you to Amazon. Because it's revealing Jesus' atomic shout in the twinkling of an eye on that day that must be called today. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51, Paul begins to, and following through the chapter, the rest of the chapter, he gives details of the rapture 
and what is going to take place in that blessed moment. And as he does, he uses the word in a moment, in beginning verse 52, in a moment, comma, in the twinkling of an eye. General Electric actually timed the twinkling of an eye as 11 one-hundredths of a second. That's pretty fast. <laughs> but I kept wondering, what's that comma doing after the word moment? It means there's something significant there. And I looked up moment, and it was gr the Greek word, atomos, which is our English word, atom, the smallest particle in the universe. And then I realized there are a bunch of atoms inside the twinkling of an eye. We don't know which atom Jesus is going to land on when he shouts. We're walking through atoms. And one of them, he's going to shout, and we're going to be gone. That's why I tease people. You're not going to be able to imagine. You have to look at it as Paul did in Philippians when he spoke about sitting in heaven and looking back. That's about the only way you can imagine it, if you can get that far. It's a struggle, but it's a good struggle. It's revealing Jesus' atomic shout in the twinkling of an eye on that day that must be called today. And with that, you have something to chew on, something to think about when you go back into the Bible. Maranatha. And that's the wrap for this evening, folks. May we all join together in prayer that each of us has a good night. And the Lord willing, until we meet next time, or until Jesus shouts and we meet in the air, or at supper, here's bidding you all, each and every one, the very best Jesus has to offer you. From the eye of the storm, this is your host, Terry Farley bidding you a good evening. ARRB-DB, Grand Saline, Canton, Mineola, Texas. You're listening to Revelation Radio, part of the Ustreamit Broadcast Network, your online destination for Christian radio for and by Christians, where we gather to share our Christian inspiration, talents, faith, message, and hope. Visit www.revelationradio.net for our broadcast schedule. Or to learn how you can host your very own Christian radio show on our station free, please visit us online at www.revelationradio.net or www.ustreamit.net today.